the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's the Sunday of the Palms. And on this Sunday, heaven forbid, a pastor or a priest speak about anything other than his first riding into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Six days after he rides into Jerusalem, you know the end of that particular story. He ends up suspended from a cross in order to fulfill that which God had assigned him from the beginning of time, Revelation 13.8. Six days prior to his riding into Jerusalem, he has raised Lazarus from the dead. And for nine months, whenever he had done a miracle, he had said to his disciples and to the people gathered round, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. I don't want to set off the anger of the scribes and Pharisees. Don't tell anybody. It is not my time to die on that cross. And for nine months, when he does a miracle, the miracle itself is muted. But when he raises Lazarus from the dead, recorded in the Gospel of John, he doesn't say, don't tell anybody. Because now the time has come. Why couldn't Jesus have died nine months earlier, six months earlier, three months earlier? Because God had appointed the time. And the time would be during the Feast of the Passover. When Jerusalem, normally 100,000 in population, swelled to 2 million. It would be that time that Jesus would die on the cross. Why the Feast of the Passover? 1,500 years earlier, it had been Moses saying to the people, put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost and the lintel, and the angel of death will pass by your house. And 1,500 years later, during the feast of the Passover, it is God Himself who says, do not put the blood of the Lamb on your doorpost and lintel. Put it in your heart and in your life. Because this is the final sacrifice. This is the Paschal Lamb. Look to Him. Have His blood upon you. And you'll be saved for everlasting life. They heard about the raising of Lazarus. They had six days to build up the Passion. And when he rides into Jerusalem, there are 30, 40, 50,000 people with their palm branches shouting their praise, Hosanna, save us. When he rode, then it's on a donkey. When he rode, then it's into one city, Jerusalem. When he rides, then he's all by himself, not his disciples, not his family, nobody. He rides by himself. But I do not want to talk about his first riding into Jerusalem. Twenty-three years ago, I preached a sermon on his second riding. 
Not into Jerusalem, not into Chicago, not in San Francisco, not into Beijing. When his second riding occurs, it will be riding into this world for the final time. Let me read in Revelation 19. John writes, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. And on the white horse there was a rider. His name is faithful and his name is true. With justice he judges and makes war against the beast, the dragon, and Satan. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. The rider is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, his own blood shed on Calvary. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, two armies. The armies of the angels and the armies of the saints, those who have died in the faith. The angel army and the army of the saints, they come behind the rider on the white horse. And each of them is riding a white horse, and they are dressed in fine linen. And out of the mouth of the rider comes a sharp sword. And with the sword he will defeat Satan, the beast, and the dragon. With the sword that comes out of his mouth. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the white horse. But the beast was captured, and the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and on the robe of the rider and on his thigh, his name is written for all the world to see, King of kings and Lord of lords. When he rides into Jerusalem, he does what God said he would do. Genesis 3.15 He will cross Satan's head. When you and I come on Good Friday, either in the afternoon or in the evening, or if you're listening online, we're going to see him cross the head of Satan. Sin defeated, death defeated, power of the devil defeated, strand... If those are defeated, how come I wake up every morning and I see 50,000 dead in an earthquake? And I see the island nation of Puerto Rico destroyed and 10 years later it's still not rebuilt. And how come I see the drive-by shootings? And how come I see what I see down in Nashville, a Christian school where evil has come? How come I see it if Satan's head has been crossed? Did not God say, He'll cross your head, but you strike at His heel. He strikes at the heel of God's children every single day. Every single moment, He strikes. Your health affected. Your relationships affected. The world and the community and your life in the mental and emotional realm affected. He strikes all the time. Jesus' first riding into Jerusalem was half of it. But the fullness comes when He rides into this world on that white horse. 
and his name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then the victory shall be his. And what reigns, not temporarily, but what reigns forever, every single moment that you live, what reigns forever is righteousness and glory and majesty and goodness. That's the anthem sung by the angels. Goodness and righteousness and glory and majesty. The rider on the white horse. In Milan, Italy, there is a cathedral. It is the third largest cathedral in the continent of Europe. It is the most beautiful cathedral that has ever been built by the hands of men. There are 52 marble columns that hold up the dome of the cathedral. There are 4,500 turrets, pinnacles, and statues of angels and saints. And they produce an incomparable combination of grace and beauty and vastness within that cathedral. When you're on your tour and the tour guide takes you behind the high altar, you are suddenly looking at the largest stained glass window that has ever been made by man. It has been described as a window opening into heaven. And when the afternoon sun streams through that window, it turns the window into a sea of glass mingled with fire, so it appears. And depicted on the window is the imagery of the apocalypse, the imagery of Revelation 19. On that window there are the sounding trumpets and the outpoured vials. You see Michael and his angels in battle with the dragon and his angels. You see the great angel with a rainbow upon his head, one foot on the sea, one foot on the earth. You see the woman, the church, the bride of Christ, clothed with the sun, moon, and stars, standing over the head of the beast. You have Satan bound with a chain and cast into the bottomless pit. You have the great white throne. But there is one thing that stands out more than anything else. You gaze upon a great white horse, and on that horse, the rider, and on his thigh and on his garment are those words, King of kings and Lord of lords. For those who have been blessed to see this cathedral, they say you never forget it for the rest of your life. Linda Edberg was here last night. She said, Pastor, I remember that sermon from 23 years ago. David and I were so moved by the sermon that the next year we took a trip to Italy and we made sure we got to Milan, Italy, and we made sure we stood in that cathedral. And we stood there with our mouths hanging open seemingly for hours. You never forget what you have seen. Maybe this is what Paul meant, 1 Corinthians 2.10, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor hath entered the heart of any man. What God has prepared for those that love Him, and not just talking about heaven, though we can hardly wait to get there, and not just talking about heaven, is what He does in the human life while you and I live on this earth. 
There are many things in the book of Revelation they tell us in the seminary, don't be preaching any sermon on the book of Revelation till you've been in the ministry for ten years. There are many things in the book of Revelation which we cannot understand, but there are many things which we do understand. And when you see Revelation 19, and when you see the fall of Babylon and the fall of Satan and the beast, and when you behold a rider on the white horse, and on his thigh written those names, you know that you are seeing the final victory of the kingdom of Christ. You know what you're looking upon. doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. You know what you are looking at. The final victory of Christ our Lord. Does He have power on this earth, our Savior? Does He have power? Every time He casts out a demon, demon, Mark one twenty four. why have you come, Jesus? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Why have you come? Have you come to destroy us? You have the power to do so. Does He have power on this earth? Every time He casts out a demon, every time He healed a blind man, every time He healed a leper, every time He raised someone from the dead, does He have power on this earth? 1 John 4, 4, the Gospel writer wrote in that epistle, I make you confident of one thing. Anything that comes against you on this earth, you have the power to defeat it because of the one who is in you. The one in you is stronger than cancer. The one in you is stronger than a broken relationship. The one in you is stronger than MS. The one in you is stronger than any evil you wake up to in the morning that begins to put a knot in your stomach. Do not look at the circumstance. Look at the one who holds the circumstance in the palm of his hands. There will be 25 kiddos confirmed at 2 o'clock this afternoon. I guarantee you I'll call Vegas and place a bet. 80% of their verses that they pick for their confirmation verses will be verses in which it says, Do not be afraid. The Lord your God is with you. they got 365 verses they can pick, and 80% of them every single year pick the verse, I shall not be afraid. Does He have power on this earth? You look at 7,000 promises in His Word, and every one of the 7,000 promises declares His power, His love, and His wisdom. Does He have power on this earth? Romans 8.28, one of the top five verses in all of the Bible. It says this, All things, the good things that God sends, all things, the evil things that Satan sends, all things, work together for good to those who are held in the palm of God's hands. Because every evil thing that Satan sends to eight billion people on this earth, it is intercepted by God Himself. 
Your faith is the weapon that God intercepts that which Satan means for our destruction. God intercepts it. And by the time he works the clay of that evil, it has been maneuvered by God to be your blessing. I said a month ago, I hope before you get to heaven you have an answer. I hope you, before you get to heaven, you have an answer to the question you want to ask God. Why did that happen? Connie and I and Josh have the answer. John's brain tumor 18 years ago. We have the answer. I always thought I'd ask God why. But enough time has gone by that I understand why God intercepted what Satan meant for our destruction and turned it into ultimate good. I understand it. Someone has lost a son. Does God have power on this earth? The flood comes, the storm comes, you will not drown, you'll not be consumed. I have written your name in the palm of my hand. I'm at the point right now, I haven't been there in four or five years, i got like ten things on my plate. Okay, ten things that I worry about. And if God were to come and say, Paul, you know, I'll take two of those things off your plate. Which one do you want to give me? I say, God, I don't know what I want to give you. Okay, all of them are really, really important. And all of them are disturbing me too much. And when that time comes, what does Paul Strand do? What does he encourage you to do? When that time comes, you give it all to him. You give every single one of those things to Him. And I'm amazed the last two weeks when I've done that, what peace I have. John Calvin, the contemporary of Martin Luther. John Calvin once wrote, It is not possible to suffer for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the kingdom if you do not feel certain of the cause for which you fight and the final victory that shall be his. Amen, John Kelvin. You will not fight for the cause unless you know the final victory that shall be his. Did David understand it? Sure did. Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen. I am confident of this, I shall behold the goodness of God in the land of the living. Did Moses understand it? Sure did. Deuteronomy 31.6, do not be afraid or tremble, the Lord your God is with you. Did Paul understand it? Sure did. Romans 8.18, the suffering of the present time, not worthy to be compared to the glory about to be revealed to us. Did Jesus understand it? Walking on the water there, storm's over finally. John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world, Satan always brings storms. But you take heart. I, the Son of God, am with you in the storm. And I will overcome it. Closing words. You're on a marathon, take nine months to prepare. You run 40, 50, 60 miles a week, and now it's the day of the marathon.
There are 40,000 others there. The first 18 miles are not too bad. And then you come to mile 20. And mile 22. And the side of the road is littered with people. <laughs> Their muscles are cramped. They, they just can't go any further. They just lay there. And you pass them by. And all of the crowd, 80% of the crowd at the marathon is there at the last six miles. And they're cheering you on. They're cheering you on. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And when you, you want to shout at them, you know, you don't, your body don't feel what my feels right now. Don't be encouraging me if you're not in my shoes right now. But those words of encouragement, they carry you on. And all of a sudden it's 26.2 miles. And you understand the words of encouragement is what got you through. Life is a marathon. Does God enter at the 20 mile mark? What? Does God enter at the 10 mile mark? Or does He come in at the very end? He's with you since the moment you were conceived. And He cheers you on when you're four years of age, when you're 17 years of age and peer pressure is enormous, when you're 28, when you're 34, when you're 48 and you've fallen into sin and everything is just destroyed. He cheers you on. And when the illnesses come into your life and when your loved ones begin to pass away, He cheers you on. And what's the cheer? What's the cheer? It's what the kiddos are taught in our parochial school every single day. What's the cheer? It's what you hear every week. It is God cheering you on with 7,000 promises. Give Him everything. Give Him everything, and He will give you peace. Five years ago, Connie and I, Josh, Rachel, and the grandkids went down to Texas. My nephew had a baby. And they asked me to baptize the baby, and I was terribly honored. There at their house in Texas, a bowl of water sitting there. And I baptized the little one. And then his grandma said, can we sing a hymn, Paul? Can we sing a hymn? I said, sure. And she handed out a sheet of paper and we sang this hymn as the baby was baptized. Fear not, little flock, says the Savior divine. The Father has willed that the kingdom be thine. Oh, soil not your garments with sin here below. My sheep and my lambs will be whiter than snow. Fear not, little flock, King of kings, Lord of lords, in our Savior's name, on this Palm Sunday, in our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, take the promises of your word, stuff them so deep down into our hearts that when fear comes, it lingers for a moment or two 
And then it is dissipated by the heat and the love of your promises. The first Palm Sunday, indeed, the second riding of the King of Kings. And that shall be the final victory forever and forever and forever. In our Savior's name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.